0: welcome to the kingsway christian fellowship home service we hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from melbourne australia kingsway christian fellowship is a family bible-based non-denominational church preaching jesus christ based in won visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com now here's pastor gary fitzgerald You know, Gary. amen praise the lord and god bless you all this morning and uh, on a day in which we can still come together in light of everything that's going on around us we can just turn our eyes upon jesus and forget those things that are going on and just love the lord and look to the lord and just be immersed in his grace and in his word and in, uh, uh, and be blessed this morning. And so we want to turn to the word of God as we have been um, considering. And in actual fact, as I preached a few weeks ago, I said I was going to uh, minister a series on seven sayings of the cross. And so I did an introduction on the issue of the cross in Scripture and just tried to bring some clarity around that in our understanding And uh, as I mentioned, the final words of anyone before they die are are of great significance. And so so it is that we want to consider the seven sayings or some have referred to them as the seven cries of the cross in which our Lord, as he hung there, spoke numerous uh, sayings in relation to the heart of God, in relation to the will of God and in relation to the purposes of God. And so they are significant for us to consider. And so we're going to do that as we uh, continue on in this first part of the series, as we look at this first saying of our Lord on Calvary. So let's just pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon this time. Father, we just come to your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the cross of Christ. We thank you, my God, for all that you have accomplished Lord, that which you have foreordained before the foundation of the world, that God which has been fulfilled and that my God in which we look to today. We stand in awe, God, at what you have accomplished and what you have done to redeem us from our sins and to give us, Lord, such an inheritance in Christ Jesus. And so, God, as we go through this series, as we go through these sayings, Lord, open our understanding. Let us, Lord, not only understand them, but also how they would even apply to our own lives. So I pray that you'd bless this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to look at Luke chapter 23 in just a moment, if you want to turn your Bibles there. But um, as I just mentioned in that prayer, and as we know, the cross was foreordained before the foundation of the world. God, in his foreknowledge, uh, he understood that which was ultimately going to transpire. And so therefore, in light of that, he knew his predetermined purpose in that he would uh, send his only begotten son to die for our sins on Calvary. So this is something that was born in eternity. And so to see it play itself out in the history of our world and in time as we know it, now some 2,000 years ago, this was central to the plan and purposes of God. And so it was uh, something that Scripture refers to as being foreordained. Jesus himself spoke about that the hour had come, the sovereign moment in time when God would present his son as an offering for sin in the Scriptures. And so indeed the Bible refers to the fact that Jesus, at this point of time, he was despised, and he was rejected by men before he, uh, um, and this was when it went out throughout the course of his ministry, that they would not receive his testimony. But in the time of the lead up and his crucifixion, we're dealing with a period in which he was despised and rejected. He was condemned to death. And so the Jews themselves had predetermined, yep, he deserves to die. The Romans, they ultimately carried out the crucifixion and fulfilled Uh, uh, as they mocked and they severely wounded him throughout that time. And as uh, Colm pointed out, he was uh, uh, crucified between two criminals, one on one side and one on the other, as he was there in the middle with criminals. Here is a man that God himself incarnated, hanging upon a cross with two criminals beside him and having suffered so much And here he is at at this time speaking the words that will proceed out of his mouth, as we will consider. But what evil had Jesus done? I mean, he was a man that healed the sick. He was a man that gave uh, uh, sight to the blind. He was a man that uh, made the deaf hear. The Bible talks about him casting out demons of those that were oppressed. He made the lame to walk. He preached the gospel of the kingdom of God to to those that that they would be saved. And so he did nothing but good. He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And here it is in light of all of that. We see a man uh, as as glorious as he is, uh, hanging upon a cross between two criminals. And so, but remembering that this was all part of the plan and purpose and foreordained purpose of God. It was Jesus himself in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 27. Let me read to you his words here, understanding fully the hour and the time in which he was living and what was about to happen. Jesus said in verse 27, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I've both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had funded. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. So here's Jesus. He's coming to this hour in his ministry over a period of three years, and he's coming to the hour in which he knows that he will be crucified. And he's uh, letting his disciples know that he's about to be lifted up and the type of death that he will die. And he prays, Father, glorify your name. Now, this is important that we understand this because the whole issue of the purposes of God relates to the glorification of God himself, that God would receive all glory. And so he, Jesus, knowing that he had come to glorify the Father, knowing that this, in this hour that he was about to be crucified, he understood that it was even to the glorification of the Father. And in doing so, he says, Father, glorify your name and God, a voice comes from heaven and says these words, I have both glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And let me say, God will glorify it again, and again, and again throughout Scripture, because this is what it's about. It's about the glory of God that is manifested and on display. And we see that none other than on the cross of Christ, in the crucifixion of Christ, and in the words that proceeded from the mouth of Christ as he hung upon that cross so god would be glorified you see the events of the cross all give glory to god from the words that he spoke from the moment in which he said it is finished even afterwards the bible tells us uh, uh, during the the crucifixion that it went dark in the middle of the day even the events that were happening in the natural world around them at the time it all gave glory to God. Dead bodies were coming out of graves and, uh, uh, and the old, uh, old prophets and men of God were walking around and, and uh, presenting themselves to people around them. I mean, you're talking about a phenomenon that was taking place in which all this was giving glory to God. The resurrection of Christ on the third day gives glory to God. And so it's all about the glorification of God himself as we consider these things this morning. And so as we consider the seven sayings of Christ in this series, as we look at that, which we're going to consider today, we will see the gracious words that proceeded out of the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ as he hung upon that cross. We're going to look at the first words that proceeded, not that we're going to look, at the rest in any particular order as such but this one being the first that proceeded and has great significance they are the some of the most gracious words that we will see in the bible that proceeded out of the mouth of our lord jesus christ and these words give god glory so let's read our text it's found in luke chapter 23 and we want to look at verse number 34 is Jesus is, actually, we'll, we'll read verse 33 if we can. Firstly, uh, sorry about that, but um, I'll just read it. It says, and when they had come to the place called Calvary, here they are at Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals that we made note of, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And so here it is. Here's the, this saying of Christ as he hung upon that cross this morning. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What a profound statement that comes forth from the lips of Jesus Christ himself in the context of the moment of time that we are dealing with. You see, there's so much that we can consider here and we will consider a few things as we go through this message this morning. But you see, what is happening doesn't just, the words that are being spoken by our Lord don't just have application to the present in which obviously they do, as we'll see, but also they have a greater application to you and I in the scriptures as well as we seek to establish. You see, there are two thoughts that are being set forth in this statement that came forth from our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Father, forgive them. So there we have the issue of God's forgiveness. And secondly, he says, for they know not what they do. And so now we're dealing with the second issue, which is the issue of their ignorance. And so we're dealing with the issue of God's forgiveness and the ignorance of those that, that uh, were crucifying him and mocking him and all that was going on around him in that day in which he was crucified. And so these are the two thoughts that we want to consider this morning. You see, Jesus literally on the cross, this is not just a saying, this is a prayer. It's a prayer that he's praying to his father. And so that here's Jesus, the son of man, being crucified as a man on a cross. And he cries out, Father, forgive them. And so it's a prayer to God the Father to forgive those that are before him, those that have orchestrated the whole aspect of the issue of the crucifixion. We're dealing with here a very deep thought to consider as we consider the forgiveness of God. He's praying for forgiveness. For the, he says, they don't know what they are doing you see the bible tells us in other places that jesus we know he could have uh, at any time called down 12 legions of angels and wiped out all those that had come to him at the garden of gethsemane <coughs> excuse me as they <coughs> excuse me as they uh, sought to arrest him And as they sought to uh, uh, lay a hold of him, and as they began to inflict uh, upon him such intense sufferings, he could have, uh, uh, God could have intervened. Jesus could have intervened himself and and, and just spoke a word and it could have been all so different. But then it wouldn't have been according to the plan and purposes of God. You see, Jesus didn't have to say, Father, forgive them on that cross. could have easily have said, Father, uh, don't let him get away with this. Think about it. I mean, if we were to look at this from a human perspective, from, a, from human uh, response, some would say, well, Father, th- don't let him get away with this. Look at what they have done. And so, uh, you know, there could have been a cry for justice uh, from, the, from the lips of our Lord Jesus Christ. But no, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, mark this down and never forget it, Lord, and make sure they pay the price for what they're doing. He doesn't say that. He actually says, Father, forgive them. And what we don't see again from, from our Lord is that he's not one that is bearing uh, resentment. He's not vengeful as he hangs upon the cross. There's no sense of bitterness. There's no sense of hatred coming forth from his disposition. And so uh, this is important for us to note because we're dealing here with God, the very nature of God compared to our nature. Because let's, let's face the fact, when we, when we look at this and we see this, It's not something that is uh, uh, commonly to be experienced by humanity. We would have an opposite reaction. You see, when men had done their worst to our Lord, what did Jesus do? He didn't pray for justice. He prayed for mercy. He prayed literally for his enemies, as we see in the scriptures. And so this is exactly what he had taught us to do. And so he says, forgive them. He prayed this prayer not after he had been healed, not after the event, but while his wounds were open, while he was suffering at his most, while the pain was at its fiercest, while he was in the most deepest anguish of soul, it is then he comes out with those words. And so if you stop to think about that and ponder just the reality of those circumstances and meditate upon it, you begin to realise the profound reality of what we're dealing with here in relation to our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, let's be honest. Have we ever suffered, have you ever suffered and some had someone wrong you and sinned against you? I'm not just talking about even in just little things. There are people in life that have suffered greatly, who have had been sinned against, who have been wronged. And uh, we know the human emotions that that can trigger in the heart. We understand the human responses that come forth uh, 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 from that. And yet, when we consider ourselves and how we would respond, and we consider and look at our Lord Jesus Christ, we're getting a glimpse this morning of the love of God. We're getting a glimpse this morning of the nature of God. We're getting a glimpse of the heart of God as we look at those words that preceded from his mouth you see jesus was the victim this morning of the most of the world's most greatest crime he was the victim of the world's most greatest crime and yet he prayed for his criminals literally and this is something for us to ponder and consider this morning but you see this is not something that was just haphazard in actual fact, this was something that was for, for, not only foreordained, but the prophets foretold even these events. You know, we're familiar with the, uh, the chapter in Isaiah 53, which, again, is all prophetic in relation to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. But you see, in verse 12, there are some interesting words at the conclusion of that particular chapter. And in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12, the Bible reads... It says, therefore, I will divide him, that is Christ, a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. There's the issue of the two criminals on his side. Numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He made intercession for the transgressors. And so we read that. And we make its general application to uh, humanity and sin, and so we should. But let's not overlook this morning the, the reality of the event of the cross itself, in which now Jesus is actually fulfilling the prophecy. He's making intercession for the transgressors right there when he says and speaks the words Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, this is a, a glorious reality and it gives glory to god and so here we have the issue of god's forgiveness right in the midst of what is going on in the crucifixion on display and being manifested and this is something to take note of now this is now i said there was two issues there's the forgiveness of god and there was ignorance now let's look at the second issue of ignorance for a moment and we're going to come back to these but you see, Jesus says, for they don't know what they are doing. Now, think about this. They don't know what they do. Forgive them for they don't know what they do is what he actually says. And so, again, I, I put this to you. we can, When saying that, it's not as if they didn't have an understanding of their wrongdoing individually. For example, Judas Uh, himself he betrayed a friend and then later he went out and and hung himself so it wasn't like he didn't understand his own wrongdoing or didn't understand what he was doing (coughs) the sanhedrin they, for example, conspired with um, uh, with uh, Judas to betray him, and so they gave him they uh, they bribed him with thirty pieces of silver. Sanhedrin, when they knew what they were doing in terms of their wrongdoing, there wasn't no there wasn't ignorance of their sin in that sense. And Pilate, when he stood there and washed his hands and said, "Well, I'm innocent of the blood of this man," uh, uh, he he knew uh, again that he was an innocent man. But he knew that he was still making that decision regardless of his actions. And so here it is. there, There was wrongdoing. And so they weren't ignorant of their actions, so to speak. But what they were ignorant of this morning was the enormity of their crime that they were committing. Think about it. They are crucifying the Son of God. They are rejecting God himself. God has been incarnated in before and now he is a man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. and they are here it is, they are crucifying him on a cross. Now, in all reality, had they known that this is exactly what they were doing, they would never have done it. The Bible tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It actually talks about had the rulers of this age knew what they were doing, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So had they fully understood what was going on, they would not have done it. So in that sense, there is an aspect of ignorance that Jesus is referring to when he says, for they know not what they do. Now, let me say this. Now, uh, just because they are ignorant, that does not make them innocent. And this is important for us to understand. We'll make sense of this a little bit more later. But just because they are ignorant doesn't make them innocent of the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay. But they did lack that knowledge, as we can see from the words of Jesus himself. We can illustrate this a little bit further, and I find it interesting because in Acts chapter 2, in verse 23, this is Peter speaking on the day of Pentecost, preaching his first sermon. And uh, under the inspiration of God, he makes reference to the fact that him, meaning in verse 23, him, Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, he says, you... Referring to those that he's addressing, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. And so, again, there's a reference to the, to the sovereign purpose and predetermined purpose and foreknowledge of God. That's the, that's the divine aspect. But then there's the human element and he points the finger at him and he says, you've taken by lawless hands and so uh, and crucified and put to death. They did it. They are guilty. And in the next chapter, in actual fact, in Acts chapter 3, verse 17, Peter is speaking again. And he says these words in verse 17. He says, yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. And so here we have the fact that Peter is acknowledging in one instance that you have, you have committed the crime you've taken by lawless hands. You're the ones that have crucified him and put him to death. But, but then in the next chapter, he's acknowledging that they did it in ignorance as the, uh, those that he's talking to, uh, which were the crowds and the common people, but he makes reference as did also your rulers. And so this is important to understand this in the context of Jesus' words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, let's go a little bit further here as Paul the Apostle writes to the church at Ephesus. Now he's dealing with the Gentiles. In Acts 2 and 3, he's dealing here specifically with the Jews and their direct relationship to the death of Christ. But now in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 4, verse 18, verse 18, Paul's uh, writing and he's writing about the Gentiles now, those that are not Jews. And he says these words in verse 18, he says, having referring to the Gentiles, they have their understanding darkened and they are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. So here's Paul he's making reference to the fact that the that that the the gentile is spiritually darkened in their understanding they are blinded uh, uh in their hearts they are alienated from the life of god why because of the ignorance that is in them but then he refers to the fact that they are still committing gross sin and are and are in, and involved in their rebellion and disobedience to God. But he is highlighting the fact that, that there is an issue of ignorance that is at hand. And so it's a, this issue of ignorance that we can see now even applies to us as Gentiles. So let's think about that for a moment because I want to turn our attention to this reality as we consider us as Gentiles, because this brings us into focus. You see, the issue of the cross and the words that proceeded from the mouth of our Lord, they don't just have relevance to the Jew and to the Roman and to those that were present at the crucifixion and those that directly after who were being addressed in those early stages of the church. But these, these words are eternal. They have significance to the Gentiles and and right through the ages, they have their own expression and and significance to you and to me. So let's ask this. I mean, let me ask you a question. Have you, well, when you, as, as a young believer, maybe, have you ever read the Bible and you've read about how, here it is, Jesus for the first time, you're seeing that the, he's, he's being rejected by his own people. He's being crucified. And you're, you're seeing this for the first time and you're horrified. You're reading it and you're seeing how can they do this to this just man? Look at this, what they're, look at what he's going through. And, and have you ever thought the thoughts or said the words at, in a moment's time and said, how could they do that? How could they have done that? And somehow, um, you know, we kind of entertain the thought, well, uh, if I was there, I wouldn't have done that. And so I don't know about you, but I remember as a very young Christian, those kind of thoughts just filtering through my mind. And so, uh, but let me say this, if, if we were to think in that manner, if we were to speak those words according to how could they have done it, I would never have done something like that. If we ever hear those words being spoken, but let me say this this morning, to such words, I'd, I would say that that individual still does not understand the cross of Jesus Christ. Now listen to carefully to what I've just said, because there is something about the crucifixion of Christ, there is something that is being captured in the events of the, of the cross that deal and are related to us specifically even 2000 years on they still personally apply to you and to me because when jesus spoke those words father forgive them for they know not what they do was he only speaking to those present at the time The whole reason these words are recorded, amen, is because they are to ring out through eternity and through the ages of time, through the church age and to the humanity that God, amen, he desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth that they would themselves hear those words that they themselves would understand those words. See, when Jesus speaks, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's speaking to you and to me this morning, individually, personally. You see, when the Bible says in Isaiah that he made intercession for the transgressors, sure, it relates to those at the time, but it relates to you and I, because we too, amen, are part of the transgressors. Are we not? Doesn't the scripture tell us in Romans chapter 5 that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? When we were sinners, when we were at our furthest from Him, when we had no concern for Him, from him and living a life of sin and disobedience to us, while we were yet enemies, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He spoke to you and to me. And so the is being extended to us this morning in such a way as Jesus himself hung upon that cross. You know, there was a song that I I, I used to listen to, and I won't name the, the author because that's well, quite a tragic story, actually. I don't even want to mention his name. But but the words in which he penned at a moment of time, I think they, uh, they rung true with me, and it was a song that was called The Hammer. And in this particular song, as he writes this word, as he counts the issue of the cross and the crucifixion and what's taking place, and he's giving an understanding of his outrage at the crowds and and their abuse at Christ and what they're uh, what they're doing to him and what the Christ is suffering. Like he says, "How, Lord, in anguish of heart, how can they do this to Him?" And in the songs, he in 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 the the words of the songs go or some of it goes like this. It says who nailed him there this child of peace and mercy and so it's it's an anguish of a a cry to god what why god why are they doing that he says i don't understand and then he writes these words he says i turned and i saw the hammer in my hand so in other words what he was capturing was the fact that the the, the outrage that he was feeling at those that had crucified the Christ and those that had done what they had done to him. And as he asked the question, why, Lord, he began to realize that the hammer was in his hand, that he nailed Jesus to the cross, that it was his sins that nailed him there. And he began to see now the the personal lies, the individual aspect of his own relationship to the cross and how he himself bears a degree of responsibility for nailing Christ. The hammer is in his hand because it was his sins that nailed Jesus to the cross. And how true it is as we consider that in light of ourselves this morning. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 13, the Bible says these words, And you, being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Listen to that. Christ who... What, we were dead in our trespasses and we were not yet saved had, having had our sinful flesh cut away and dealt with. But in doing so now in Christ, he has made us alive together with him and he's forgiven us of all trespasses, all our sins all that we have committed, every, every sinful act that we had done and that we can reflect upon. It's like our brother just shared earlier. You know, we get saved and God heals our hearts from our sin and he deals with us. But something that you can never erase is the memory. The effects of the memory can be healed. Thank God for that. And he does do that. I've experienced that. And he does do a miracle in our lives. But the the memory of that remains. And so, too, as we consider the fact that we have been forgiven of all of our trespasses, we're forgiven. Listen to verse 14 of Colossians chapter 2. It says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, in that we had broken the law of God. And so now and with this, our sins had heaped up, and the Bible talks about this in Romans, how, the, how they're heaping up wrath for themselves in the day of judgment. Can you imagine the sinner standing before God with that handwriting of those requirements still held against him because he's not saved, he's not forgiven? and having to face the wrath of God and the eternal judgment. But yet we, amen, who have turned to the Lord and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we get Christ has wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Hallelujah. You see, God nailed our sins to the cross. We, the hammer was in our hands. We nailed him there in the sense of our sins. But in the, in, the, in the eternal perspective, the Bible says that God nailed those sins to Christ and he bore our sins. He made his soul an offering for sin. And so you see here this personal aspect and the Bible says he has cancelled out the record of those charges that were against us. He's canceled them out because he's forgiven us of all of our sins. Father, forgive them. And these are the words of Christ that came from his mouth that apply to you and I this morning. This brings us now to the second point of the ignorance, and I want to make a personal application of this as well. Because Jesus said, for they know not what they do, how do we understand the issue of ignorance in the Bible? How do we understand the issue of ignorance in scripture? Because we know just generally speaking that ignorance is not an excuse. Ignorance is not innocence. In actual fact, it's the opposite regardless of whether one is ignorant or not. One is still accountable and guilty before God. You see, sins of ignorance need forgiveness, regardless of the fact that we didn't understand uh, God and the enormity of our sin. We still made choices. We still violated God's law. We still lived in a certain way according to conscience and so many and different aspects in which we still need the forgiveness of God, regardless of the ignorance that is in us that Paul referred to. Because ignorance, sins of ignorance, need forgiveness and this is best illustrated in the in the old testament in the bible in the book of numbers chapter 15 and in this particular chapter it's interesting because uh uh, as god is speaking in relation to the law of moses and all that relates to the commandments of god he, he makes a distinction and he talks about the sins he who sins unintentionally or those who sin in ignorance in contrast to the sin of presumption, those who act presumptuously before the Lord and sin. And so what is interesting is that the Bible makes a distinction here. Now, it is just, just as a side note for those that were guilty of the sin of presumptuous of of presumption or presumptuous sin, that is that they, 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 they sinned with knowledge. They knew what they were doing and they did it. Anyway, there was a presumption uh, that was rooted in deep rebellion and defiance against God. And so in the Bible, where that, where that sin of presumption was committed by an individual, the Bible says that there was no atonement for that sin. In actual fact, they were to be judged guilty, and they were to be cut off from the people and cast out uh, because there's no unrepentance there 's no repentance here we 're dealing with an individual who 's sinning with a high hand, a clenched fist towards god and, uh, and in an act of defiance and rebellion and so this sin of presumption uh, is is, is, a, is a deadly sin and was dealt with in this way, but prior to that particular reference god deals with the sin of ignorance although for the one who sins unintentionally and so it's interesting uh, what happens in this instance and so in the book of numbers chapter 15 verse 28 it says these words this is what the one who sinned unintentionally this is what they were to do in order to be reconciled to god in verse 28 numbers 15 so the priest shall make atonement for the person who sins unintentionally when he sins unintentionally before the Lord to make atonement for him and it shall be forgiven him. So here it is. The issue of God's forgiveness is being tied to the fact that this person who has sinned ignorantly, what they are required to do is that they are, they need to make atonement. In other words, there needs to be blood shed. Then uh, uh, they have to present a sacrifice uh, bring it to the priest. And the priest has to make atonement for that person so they can be forgiven. And so the point here is that whether it's presumptuous sin or whether it's ignorance or whether it's unintentional whatever the the, the 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 issue is the issue is this one still needs forgiveness and this is why when jesus cries out father forgive them for they know not what they do and he is mindful of this aspect of ignorance that is at work now it doesn't mean that person's innocence. In actual fact, the Bible says in Acts 17, it says that God overlooked times of ignorance, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. And so ignorance is no excuse. It, ignorance before God does not acquit. It doesn't make one innocent. It's got nothing to do with that. But it has to do with the fact that even still, in light of that, God has made a way and he has provided atonement for our sin in the issue of forgiveness forgiveness and in the issue of the fact that we were ignorant. Now, notice that they were to take their, um, uh, in making atonement, they would have to bring their offering to the priest. And so the Bible tells us, again, in the book of Hebrews, which deals with this very aspect, that we have a high priest, amen, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. And so Christ himself, amen, is our high priest, and the Bible says in, in uh, Hebrews 9, verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Or in other words, there is no forgiveness. God can't forgive on the basis of these. There has to be atonement, even if there's ignorance. Sin is sin. Sin must be dealt with. Blood must be shed. It has been the way from the garden, and it has all, and it always been, remained the same in the Scripture. And so the innocent must die for the guilty. And so here we have Jesus, our high priest. He shed his blood and through his blood, hallelujah, he purchased our forgiveness. He purchased our uh, our salvation and he did everything, amen, in order to save us, having once and for all offered up himself as a sacrifice for sins. And so no more do they have to go through this repetitive uh, uh, um, offering. You know, the Bible talks about, again, in Hebrews, in chapter 5 and chapter 7, it talks about the high priest would offer up sins for himself and for the people and in their ignorance, for their, the sins of ignorance. But you see, they would have to do this year by year in the Day of Atonement, but not anymore. Christ has done it once and for all. And he has gone into the heavens with his blood and he has made atonement for our sins. And so therefore we have received forgiveness through his blood, the precious blood of Jesus. And so father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Those words of forgiveness, uh, that prayer of Christ, he understands that the blood that he's shedding right there at that moment on the cross, the blood that he's being poured out, his own blood that is being, uh, it is dripping from the cross from his brow, every part of his body, he's bleeding. That blood is for you and for me. And so when he says, father forgive them for they know not what they do. He's not just praying on the basis of goodwill. He's, He's understanding the fact that his blood is purchasing that forgiveness. It's his blood that's making that forgiveness possible for those that are committing that act. And that extends to you and I this morning. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. The riches of his grace. What gracious words we see that proceed from the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning. What a gracious act. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. By grace we have been saved. And so we see this morning, the goal of forgiveness is reconciliation, where God unites two divided hearts, where you and I have been reconciled to God through the death and through the blood of the cross. You see what a, what a glorious statement our Lord has made this morning when he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Thank God for his precious blood this morning. Do we understand the enormity of our sin? Do we understand how it was our sin that nailed him there? Do we understand the forgiveness of God, the blood of Jesus Christ that washes and cleanses us from all sin? You see, I think it was uh, Colm this morning. Again, he made reference to David. And David sinned greatly against the Lord. But you see, he prayed and he penned these words in Psalm 32, verse 1. And in reference to for God's forgiveness, he said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. You see, this, these words are profound this morning. Our transgressions are forgiven. Our sin is covered. Our sins have been done away with, washed away. And the blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. When God looks at us, the handwriting of requirements have been cancelled. They've been discharged. We've not imputed with iniquity, but we've been imputed with the righteousness of God. Through Christ Jesus. And so when we think about this this morning, you know what it does? It gives glory to God. You look at this and one is completely humbled. One is completely in adoration. One is completely in awe at what has God has done, at the words of Christ that proceeded on that cross when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. All the glory belongs to God this morning. And that's why the Bible says, let him who glories, glory in the Lord. That's where our glory, we glory in God and all that he has accomplished. As we looked at last time, we boast only in the cross of Christ. God forbid that we boast in anything else other than the cross and all that proceeded from it. And so I pray that you see the amazing love and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning. Can I close just with one thought? That's a little bit. Well, it's not. Um, it's it, as I conclude. I was thinking as I was just pondering this whole whole truth about Christ upon the cross, and we're all familiar with the story of Stephen, in the book of Acts. And here's Stephen. He preaches and he preaches under the inspiration of God. It's quite a fiery message, really. And he confronts them with their sin and their own rebellion and disobedience to God. And you know the story, they gnash their teeth, they're convicted in their hearts and they they literally grab him and they stone him to death. And as he's dying, as 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 his soul is departing, as he's dying, as they are murdering him there and casting stones and rocks at him, the Bible says that he looks up and he sees Jesus and he says, I see Jesus. And then his last words that are recorded in scripture is he says this, Lord, charge them not with this sin. Now think about that this morning because we've just considered Christ and the cross and the forgiveness of God. And we can see it in contrast to our own human nature. And yet here we have Stephen in this, in the book of Acts and he follows the same example of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think to myself, sometimes I read that and I think, gosh, could I say those words? in, in if, I was, if I was Christ or if I was um, uh, Stephen in that moment of time, could, I, could such gracious words proceed from my mouth? But yet it should, yet it must, because this characterizes the, the nature of God. And so could you imagine? This is no doubt would have tormented Paul the apostle. As shortly later, he comes to, the, he comes to uh, you know, Saul being converted to Paul. But no doubt he would have, those words from Stephen, would have uh, tormented his mind. And so let us display the character of God. Forgive others as God has forgiven us, is what the scripture says. Let us display the forgiveness of God. And God help us, amen, to be perfect as he is perfect. So I pray the Lord's blessing this morning. Amen. God bless you.